What's up, everybody? Matt Kajeski here, back again with the Odd Shopper channel. And today we're talking some college basketball bets. Ahead of Monday, January the 29th, it's a short slate. We have a doubleheader in the Power Six conferences and then a couple of mid-major games we'll talk about. But before we get started, make sure to hit that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit the notification bell so you know when this and all content goes live. We are brought to you by BetMGM, and they have an offer for you guys in all legal states except New York, Puerto Rico, and Nevada, where you can make your first deposit up to $5, click the link in the video description below to get to that page. Then you'll take $5 and place it on any team, any total, any market, whatever you want. Whether it wins or loses, you will get $158 in the form of bonus bets. Must be 21 or older to play in most jurisdictions. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, we move forward to this week. Had a decent weekend betting-wise, but honestly, my plate was much less full, I guess, than it typically is. I went to the Marquette game, I went to the Milwaukee game, and I went to the Bucks game all in one day. So college basketball betting was not the main focus. Hit some stuff live, which is irrelevant to you guys on this channel. As far as the official bets, only put out two on Saturday, went one and one, and then that was North Carolina, the under against Florida State, which hit. And then the other one was Texas, which did not hit against BYU. Yesterday threw down a few shekels on SMU and the under in the Marist game. Both of those missed, but we're back at it. Back to the grind today. We'll bring you behind the glass. Kicking things off, we have Duke taking on Virginia Tech. This is not one that I officially bet, but there's only two big games. So I figured we should talk about them. Right now, you're seeing Duke favored by three, three and a half in most spots. And in this game, Duke is the side I prefer, but I'm still a little worried about their health. This is a team that has been without Proctor for part of the year. Roach has been injured recently. He did play 25 minutes in their last game, so that's a positive sign after he left the previous contest. But then in that game, you know, they barely beat Clemson, but Filipkowski fouls out almost immediately in the game. It's been a long time since we've seen Duke put together a performance where everybody lives up to expectations. It's one thing or another, injuries, fouls, whatever it is. And it's a weak conference. They're playing Virginia Tech, and I honestly think they should be favored by more. If you could guarantee me Roach was healthy, if Filipkowski wasn't going to foul, getting Mark Mitchell back has been huge for this team too. He's the lead on defense. I didn't even mention him amongst the injuries. And Virginia Tech has been pretty good so far this year. Long has been out for this team. That's really the only super relevant injury to mention in this game. That's led to more time for Barron on the floor. Last time out, Barron fouled. So they're pretty limited in their front court. That's going to be a huge issue against Filipkowski and Mark Mitchell, assuming both of them are fine for this game. And Virginia Tech, they're pretty good rebounding, pretty good in effective height, but you're still battling Duke, who's 12th in effective height. Really strong on the inside. And Virginia Tech's outside the top 130 in interior defense. So... It's tough for me to back the Hokies. I know they're at home here. I have not played this game yet. Virginia Tech has taken some money. If this gets to like two, two and a half, I will play Duke. And I'm honestly very seriously considering the three here. Next game will go to South Carolina State taking on Maryland Eastern Shore. All right. So I told you there were some mid-majors. Oh boy, are there some mid-majors mid on this slate. So kicking it off with this game. We're in the MEAC, and right away, you're going to notice neither of these teams are particularly good. 
I'm not sure if we see a tournament team out of anyone we'll talk about in the MEAC today, but South Carolina State, they're the slight favorite, even though they're on the road. They're 6-14. and 14. They played a tough schedule. They're 156 there, so no shame. Maryland Eastern Shores, 5-13, and 13, and they have not really played a tough schedule, 227. They only have one win against top 300 competition. And I think both these teams are going to be at mostly full strength. When you go to evanmia.com, it's a great place where I like using it for player analytics. You have five players inside the top 30 in this conference on South Carolina State. And for Eastern Shore, you only have two players in the top 40. So just looking talent-wise, there's a pretty big gap between the players that you see on the floor for these teams. And, I mean, 295th in offensive efficiency is honestly not that bad for this conference. Maryland Eastern Shore is 360th. The defense, I'm not really buying for Eastern Shore. They're 272nd there. South Carolina State, very weak on defense themselves, but they play better competition, and that's something I think we can sort of hold our hat on. As far as the individual scoring, let's hone in on South Carolina State for a second. They have two players that shoot 37% from three. I think that's fine. It's Wilson Dubinsky and Raekwon Brown. They're a team that also has a rebounding advantage here. They're 188th in rebounding. Eastern Shore, 323. And I think this honestly could be even a little worse on the offensive glass. The Bulldogs attacked us relentlessly. They're 24th on the offensive glass. So even though they're not the best shooting team, and we're talking about the MEAC, you're not going to have elite shooting teams. They hit the glass so hard that you get a ton of second chance opportunities. This is a team that also has what I think is a micro edge forcing turnovers. They're 33rd in turnovers generated Eastern shore, 301st in turnovers committed. So even if you're not hitting your shots for South Carolina state, your opponent's not going to hit shots. They're literally the third worst offense in the country. You have a ton of second chance opportunities with this massive rebounding advantage, and you force a ton of turnovers so you can get points off those turnovers, points in transition. There's a lot of ways for South Carolina State to win this game, in my opinion. And I think getting them at any sort of point value is fine with me. If you find this even as a pick I'm willing to take it. I took the one and a half myself with South Carolina State. Next up, we have Alabama State taking on Texas Southern. This time we head to the SWAC. And a couple teams that aren't the greatest, Texas Southern, 6-12, and 12, you might see this and think, my goodness, this team is bad. They're no- notorious for scheduling, like, the most rigorous non-conference schedule in the country. I don't know why they do this, but, man, this team plays just a murderer's row of teams in non-con. Alabama State, they're 10-9. and nine. Obviously, there's a gap here in strength of schedule. Honestly, it's not as vast as you might think. For Alabama State, they're 149th, and then you have Texas Southern at 142nd. So it's actually a little closer than you might think. And this is another game where I think right away you can go and go to Evan Mia, look at who's playing for these teams. The top player in the game is Ubong Oken for Alabama State. He's a really unique player in this conference. It's the SWAC again. He's a 7-1 sophomore center who has the best defensive metrics in the country. If you want to compare him to somebody like a a poor, poor, poor man's like Klingon, just a player who has size that typically teams don't have in this conference. Texas Southern really struggles to score, but a lot of times they can just win through their defense, evidenced by them ranking 109th and 345th in offensive efficiency. So that's a big feather in the cap of Alabama State. You just don't have a team, any sort of like players on this other team, Texas Southern. They have three players that are 6'10 or slightly taller. 
but they're going to be seeding size. They're going to be seeding defensive efficiency. They're 155th there, so nothing too bad for a conference like this, but still you're facing the 109th defense on the other side, and they can't score either. And honestly, despite the gap here, the slight gap, I guess slight advantage Texas Southern's way in terms of offensive efficiency, I'm actually more worried about their team. You look at effective field goal percentage, this Texas Southern team really struggles to score, but overall, 357th in effective shooting percentage. And they do have, I think, an ability to get to the line. You're not looking at a ton of fouls generated, but I do think you could get some potential shooting regression from this team as well. Like CJ Hines, he's a player who shot really well, at least in conference play. He's up at 42%, and that's on the Alabama State side. So I think you do have better shooting overall for two teams that are pretty damn bad at shooting altogether. So I guess to sum this all up, the advantages on Alabama State's team are having Oaken, the 7-1 sophomore center, just elite rim protection, and then at least having one good shooter with C.J. Hines at 42%. And then Oaken, if he does foul, which I'm not really that worried about, Texas Southern doesn't generate a ton of them, but conversely, Alabama State does. As far as the other side of this game, we, we mentioned the rim protectors for Texas Southern. They're pretty decent size, but you're definitely seeding it against Alabama State. They do have some other concerns, I think. They rank 203 in turnovers. Alabama State is 60th in generating turnovers. So this is another spot where, yeah, both teams struggle to score, but one team, they do something well that leads to scoring opportunities, and that's generating turnovers. And then I don't think this team has any sort of shooters. Like C.J. Hines for Alabama State at 42%. The best shooter for Texas Southern is Jonathan Cisse at 37%. And then they like barely have anyone else at 30 At least on the Alabama State side, you have a few ancillary players like touching 30% from three. There's like barely anyone shooting even remotely close to efficient outside of CSA for this Texas Southern team. I took Alabama State plus five, seeing four and a half in some spots. I think that number is completely fine, honestly. Next up, we have NC Central taking on Delaware State. This is a fun one. So we're back to the MEAC, the conference we initially started with at the top of the video. But we have slightly better teams. NC Central 11 and 8, Delaware State 10 and 10. The biggest thing with this game is injuries. There have been a ton of them for NC Central throughout the year. Six of their main contributors, and they play a pretty deep bench, have missed at least a pair of games. Every one of these players is back in the lineup. So you look at their efficiency metrics 306 in offense, 197 in defense, even rebounding 302nd here. Some of their bigs have been injured. I think there's a lot of meat left on the bone for this team, and you could see improvement as the year comes on just because of health. Conversely, Delaware State's had a few injuries too. Brandon Stone, Corey Perkins, neither of them have returned. So that's an issue. There are going to be advantages both sides of the ball for these teams. I'm going to start with NC Central. Team 306 in offensive efficiency, 197th on defense. Effective shooting percentage for this team. 312th, but I think they hold a pretty good edge over Delaware State here, who's 351st. And this is another spot where I see the potential for improvement. Josh Smith, Fred Cleveland, Jadarius Harris, and Devin Gordon are all shooting at least 35% from three. Jadarius Harris, their leading scorer who's missed a couple of games, is at 42%. So you have a lot of, especially in conference play now, you have the chance for this number to rise significantly, especially against teams that struggle to defend the three. As far as Delaware State goes, I think their biggest advantage is their height. 
They're 33rd in effective height, 98th in rebounding. For comparison, NC Central's 327th in effective height, 302nd in rebounding. But the the reason I don't really think this is too important, Delaware State is still outside the top 320 in interior scoring. In this conference with this size, there's really no – it's not defensible. I don't understand how you're not better at scoring in this conference. It's not like they played a tough non-com. They're 345th in overall strength of schedule. So to have this height and not be able to use it, just have a bunch of big stiffs in the paint. Yeah, it's an advantage. Technically, you're taller, but you can't do anything with it. So I'm not really too worried about this. And then final point here again, back to Evan Mia. Use this site. It's awesome. NC Central has six players in the top 25. Delaware State has one. You have the overall talent vastly in favor of NC Central, who is now healthy. I'm surprised this is anything close to a pick I got to pick them earlier. I've seen it move a little bit, like minus one, minus one and a half. I have no problem with this. They're a road team, yes, but we're not talking the best home court advantages here. A lot of these teams play in high school gyms. So we'll take NC Central. Last game to talk about is Houston taking on Texas. I did not bet this game, and I think this is the hardest game to bet. I'm, I'm far closer to betting Duke than I am anything in this game. And I've had a lot of hot takes on Houston throughout the year. They're the number one team at Kempom, number one team in defensive efficiency, awesome offensive rebounding team. We know exactly what they do. I think they're overrated, not because on a game-in, game-out basis, they shouldn't be favored in a spot like this. But the way their team is comprised, they're, they're 17th in offensive efficiency, but this team does have scoring problems. They're 194th in effective field goal percentage. They cannot shoot the ball. They're outside the top 100. In three-point percentage, they're outside the top 240 in two-point percentage. This team cannot shoot. They can't create. So you're throwing up bricks and living on offensive rebounds. There's a couple problems with this. One, what if you face a team that has size? Like Texas has pretty good size, especially with Disu back. You throw some bodies at Houston. You don't have as many second-chance points. This team's probably going to lose some games they already have. Second, being a team that's so aggressive on the glass, you are so susceptible to fouls. And this team, they're slightly deeper than they have been in years prior, but they're 329th in fouls committed. This is a bottom 50 team in terms of getting in foul trouble. That's going to be a huge problem, especially when your fouls are these dumb over-the-back penalties, which are they're a constant plague for Houston. So you one, you have scoring issues. Two, foul issues, especially with the over-the-back stuff. A lot of times I talk about ways teams can win games. With Houston, it's honestly how teams can beat them. So, I mean, it's tough. Can Texas do this? I mean, probably not. Texas has been one of the least consistent teams in the country. It's nice to see them get consistent minutes out of DSU, but they still haven't found a rotation they like. Last week, they had benched Tyrese Hunter. Now he's back over 30 minutes. They've rotated the front court kind of bit, quite a bit. DSU cannot stay out of foul trouble. He's had really one game since he returned where he hit 35 minutes and stayed out of foul trouble. Every other game, this guy just cannot keep his hands to himself. You've seen Chendo Weaver, Ethia Horton jumping up and down from 20 minutes to 15 to 25. Outside of Max Acemas, Tyrese Hunter, I guess, Dylan Mitchell, and sometimes Disu, there's no consistent rotation with this team. What do they do well? I mean, they're a better shooting team than Houston, that's for sure. They're 31st in effective field goal percentage, but so much of this comes through Acemas, 27th in three-point percentage again. He's a flamethrower from three, but you don't have a ton else. Hunter's not a, a sniper by any means. These who's solid on the interior, and that's going to be important because Houston defends the interior extremely well. But, man, he's susceptible to fouls. Rebounding, again, it's 
goes Houston's way, but I don't think they're always going to have this advantage. They're just aggressive. They're not tall. They're 341st in effective height. So Houston's 310th in feet free throw percentage. So, I mean, if this comes down to fouls, which it very well could, both these teams love fouling. I mean, they're cooked from the free throw line. Texas is 107th there. I don't know. I, I want to bet Texas with my heart, but I just absolutely cannot bet the Texas Longhorns at this stage of the game. Anyway, if you guys have any questions, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Matt underscore Gajeski or leave a comment. Those are the two best ways to reach me. And we'll be back every weekday this week. Weekends are going to be tough sometimes. The early tips give you such little time to prepare. You know, if I was releasing this very video on Saturday, you'd have one hour to view it. So that's the tough part. But we'll try our best staying up late, get some content out for you guys. Otherwise, good luck. Until next time, we'll see you later.